Hello and welcome to Midtown Conversations. My name is David Harms and today on this World Radio Day edition of the program, I caught up with my longtime friend and radio mentor, David Bailey. From pirate radio to internet broadcasting, David has a long history in the radio business, working at multiple radio stations in a wide variety of places around the world. Over the next 30 minutes, David shares with us some of his insights into community radio, internet broadcasting, and the state of journalistic freedoms in 2022. Here is our conversation. There we are. Hello, David. Well, hello, Canada. Long time no see, no time, long time no speak, but not missing the, not missing the snow, man. I'm no. not missing the Canadian snow. <laughs> yeah, it's a good winter not to, uh, to, to be not missing it. Yes, it's, uh, it's exceptionally cold here this year and uh, seems to be a, a tremendous amount of snow right now, but that is good. How is, uh, how is life in Bosnia-Herzegovina? Um, well, we've got, um, you know, years ago when I came here, um, that was when I first got introduced to cold and deep snow. Of course, you know, when I came over to spend the two and a half years with you guys, and I really learned that Bosnia was like in the, how, how do you call it, the Pee Wee League? They, you know, but it, for me, from an Englishman, it was like a, a culture shock. But now, we don't get very deep snow anymore. Cold to us isn't anywhere near like it wasn't. Today, we've gone up to 14 degrees and, and only the other day we were at minus five so i don't know maybe you guys have still got you know your two seasons of um winter and construction um <clears throat> we, we're still <laughs> we, we we still don't know what what's happening but yeah weather-wise it's a catastrophe mate yeah winter and construction and they seem to be overlapping seasons uh in the last few years yes <laughs> But nonetheless, we, uh, we have this great opportunity of uh, World Radio Day to catch up, and I thought it would be really nice to, uh, to be able to talk to you about all things, all things radio. Uh, I know, of course, you have a very long history in the radio business, working at multiple radio stations around the world for, I'm going to say, at least the last 25 years, but we'll, we'll let you uh, clarify any of that. And I'll, I'll say to our listeners that, um, that David and I first met uh, while working at one of those stations a number of years ago, where you taught me a great uh, deal about the practice of, of radio production. And of course, I'm grateful for that. And so um, I say it's really, it's fun now to be on the other side of the microphone and here uh, talking on the air with you. So again, for agreeing to doing, uh, to doing this. Okay, so um, as I said, you've been in the radio business for a very long time, but I'm sure you've been listening to radio for even longer than that. So first question, what is your earliest memory of radio in your life? Um, my earliest recollect uh, uh, recollection is I'm in Southeast London uh, in my uh, Irish grandmother's living room, and uh, she's got this old wooden radio nobody will understand it today unless you're really old uh with valves you know you used to switch them on and then watch the thing glow and then it would sort of like spring into life uh no fm back then am uh and we had like the bbc which was as boring as everything we used to call it the british boring whatever and hearing pop music <clears throat> and i just couldn't get that my grandparents would be listening to uh what was it then the early days of the beatles rolling stones and everly brothers and that sort of stuff um, and it, these were radio stations that were on ships and other marine constructions uh, around the coast. Uh, they, called, they were subsequently called pirate radio. Um, 
And I listened to this and I just found it fascinating, not only the music, but, you know, how a, a group of 10 DJs would do two weeks on, two weeks off on a boat. Um, and it, it was just like amazing. They've made films about it now. So those are my earliest recollections. Um, and doing actually what was shown in one of the films, I, I felt quite embarrassed about it. Uh, I tried to hide my face is where the, the young boy or girl is in their bedroom with this sort of like large box, which was in a transistor radio, having it under your pillow so you could listen to it at night without annoying your parents. So, yeah, 11 years of age, David, 11 years of age. That's that's amazing. And did you um, I'm trying to remember the, you know, the stories from years gone by, but did, were you just inspired by the pirate radio or we, did you get an opportunity to work in that a little bit later on? <clears throat> well, the, I, it, 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 it was a bit of both, actually. I was inspired by it. Um, for those that are listening and, and maybe somebody will call in or send you a message. Does anybody remember Radio Caroline and Radio London that has since moved to Canada? If you do, it'd be interesting to see what your thoughts are. But um, yeah, I was inspired. But, you know, 1967, it was made against the law by the British government. They didn't like to have freedom. Uh, <laughs> my government at home doesn't like that even today. So nothing much has changed. But they made it against the law. Only one radio station survived. It went and anchored off the Dutch coast. And that was subsequently closed down. And, you know, myself and my friends at the time were hugely annoyed. I would have used the P word, but we were hugely annoyed at the time. And when I think back to this group of 14 to 15 year olds who, within a matter of four months, had learnt to make a medium wave transmitter, with this massive valve in the middle of it. It's called an 801 valve. Um, we, we, I don't know, we taught ourselves to build these things. Uh, health and safety, it was a nightmare, how we didn't kill each other. Um, we started off, you know, when it, to see if it was working. One of us would lick our fingers and stick our fingers on the top of the <laughs> valve. And you've got this massive shock. I mean, how none of us died from a heart attack, I don't know. Um, and we started with these... Um, like record players that you had in boxes at the time that played 45s. And we used to open up the back and then we sort of like made a rudimentary mixer and we started doing our own radio programs. Um, great fun for young men and girls at that age. Um, caused absolute chaos with the police, caused absolute chaos with the judicial system. Um, and we had tens of thousands of listeners. And, you know, when you're that age, what else do you need to stroke your ego to make you think that you're a superstar when you're actually nothing? So, yeah, uh, it, it, that, that offshore radio both inspired me um, and I ended up being a pirate myself. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, a nice, nice memories, actually. Thank yeah. you for taking me back there. No, it is. And, and it's because it's uh, I was reminded of a book recently. I think it's uh, 40, 40 Watts from Nowhere uh, telling the story about a lot of the pirate radio uh, that went on in the UK and all the sort of technological innovation that was occurring. It's really, I'm curious when you, when you talk about like that rush, that feeling you get from it, is it from knowing there's a larger audience out there or is it like the experience of just tinkering with all the different technology that seems to be, um, you know, a big part of that practice? I think for us back then, um, <clears throat> we, we were so annoyed about it that we didn't realize that we would, we would get into sort of like this activism I think today you would say that we were activists. Um, you know, it was just like we wanted to put one finger up to the government because 
it was like they they'd taken we'd loved it so much us and millions and millions of other young people not everybody went to do their own broadcasting that's true but it was it you really felt that you know the adults the grown-ups um had just pulled off the, the the worst naughty chair or naughty corner experience in the world you know we don't like you having it you won't have it and it was taken away from us and it was it was to a degree where we said well if you want, if you if if you won't provide that, um, then we'll do it ourselves. I have to say, um, six months after they closed those offshore ships, the BBC had changed and uh, sort of like recreated that sound on on land. But it was still, you know, hello, hello, this is the BBC, and you're going to listen to what we play. Um, yeah, it was just weird. I never thought I'd be politically active, and I don't look at it today. Uh, I just felt that. You know, together with the others, we were we were providing a service. Um, yeah, and, and we felt pleased with it. When we were when we were arrested, we didn't feel guilty. We weren't disrespectful to the police. In fact, um, at the end of it, you know, there were two bits. There were the the guys that used to, on behalf of the government, track you down with tracking equipment, and then there were the police that had to enforce the law. And David, the, the crazy thing towards the, the whole of the end of this experience was the police used to ring us up and say, we're going to raid you in 25 minutes. And I kid you not, they used to do that. And when we used to say, why did you tell us? The answer was, my daughter won't forgive me if I don't give you half a chance. That's nice, really really showing the, uh, the power of the younger generation as, uh, as audience. It strikes me a lot that this, um, this sort of like oppositional nature that a lot of community stations or, or stations in, in uh, emerging democracies uh, seem to sort of rise up in that tradition as something where maybe we're seeing more, more governments clamping down on, uh, on media generally, but on, on broadcasting in particular. Um, and I'm just wondering then, you know, when you sort of think about the, the state of radio today in, in 2022, how do you, how do you see it? How do you how do you feel things are, um, you know, just the state of, of, you know, journalistic freedoms and, and, and broadcasting more generally? I'm actually heartbroken by it. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you for why, because I don't know whether I was I, I got, you know, I'm a baby boomer. So I don't know whether. You know, when I when I grew up that I had this, I don't know, inbuilt. Thought that politicians were good guys and the state was you know looking after me I, I i question that now but as far as radio is concerned at the moment I, I'll, I'll quote the the situation where we are at the moment in bosnia terrible conflict that ended 26 years ago somehow it's it's, it's bumbled along in some form of uh peace um and tolerance reconciliation i would say is in the bottom of a bucket but at least we've got peace and reconciliation and with the international community, who are, I have to say, this is only my opinion, are as much use as a chocolate fire guard because they don't do anything. And we have a situation now within the three ethnic groups uh, whose party leaders that control all the media that is created in their own entities. And without exception, um, they have gaslighted their own ethnic communities in a way that I think even back in the days of Nazi Germany, and, and we always, you know, criticise Goebbels for his way that he manipulated media. But
but I think even he would learn a few tricks from what's happening down here. The gaslighting is is phenomenal. Um, watching how what I, people who I consider to be open-minded, you know, with a wider vision, that they seem to be becoming more and more constricted and more and more, I won't say militant, but you know what I mean? They're, 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 their view is no longer a healthy view. And there's nothing here um, that, that can challenge that to put an alternative point of view. You know, let, let's look at you guys in uh, where you are at the moment. You know, Midtown Radio is a voice. It's a voice for the community, uh, from the community, and it discusses community issues, which I think is, you know, the nucleus of everything. You have an online presence and whatever. That is not allowed here. There, are, You will not get a frequency here, not even for uh, a two-kilometer radius of a part of a town. It will not happen. Uh, it cannot happen, and, and because... Those that are running the show um, just won't let it happen. It's a good case study to see what is happening here to say, my goodness, let's not have, have it happening where we are. At least in the United Kingdom, as far as I'm aware, still commercial radio. Yes, it is commercial radio, but it is still providing an alternative service. And there are community radio stations. You know, the government allow community radio stations, you know, like that five kilometer uh, broadcast radius for ethnic groups, for example, for minority interests and everything. And I think that is very, very important. And I think there should be more of it. The sad thing is that, as you know yourself, even to run a community radio station, you need uh, a team of committed people. Uh, volunteers will come and go. That's the sad reality of life. And then again, there's the money issue. I mean, a license doesn't come free. I know it doesn't come free in Canada, doesn't come free in the United Kingdom. And so, you know, you're once again limited by the amount of money that you can get and benefit benefactors aren't hanging off a tree but it is very very important um, and I think for far too long we've been saying you know I did a project in Ethiopia and I was really I really felt energized by helping them set up a station there but you know then David that was what 10 years ago I did that project and here I am sitting in a country uh, where I feel absolutely useless now I do. Um, I'll get through it somehow and, and we'll stimulate kids somehow. But, you know, it's this is not two steps forward, one step back. This is, you know, millions of steps backward. So what you're doing is very, very important, even in a developed country uh, as Canada is. It's encouraging to hear because, you know, we do certainly envision community broadcasting as the as the anecdote to some of the more um, you know, political or, or top-down models that we're seeing. And I know like the last time we talked, you were delivering a fair amount of this radio training in, in uh, emergent de democracies around the world. You mentioned, you mentioned Ethiopia as one. Um, are there others that you, can, that you can tell us about? Are there places where you're seeing sort of some, some signs of hope? I wish I could, I, I wish I could be positive, um, but that would not be the reality. I did some project, I, you know, helping stations in Armenia, uh, in Azerbaijan, uh, in Georgia, and whilst you know the, the the people that turned up for the training, you know, heart definitely in the right place, and use that training to get going. And the idea was that they would then uh, be self-sustaining. So we set them up and we supported them. Not me personally; I was just part of the setup team. But we, we set them up so that they'd have two years of funding to get going. 
And I think with only one exception, a station in Georgia, um, which is crazy because it's a reggae station in Georgia. Fly that one past me, but it, it, it was working. Um, they've all failed. Um, not through um, being keen or, or losing faith. It's just been the fact that, you know, that, that the funding issues have really stumped them. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you need to fund a media outlet, even though it's a small one, um, you do need to have somebody that is savvy in that, in that department. And I think it takes a lot more energy to, to, to keep the finances, you know, to sustain the station rather than it is to create, you know, the programming content, which is obviously very, very important. And I think not enough people understand that. And we need to be getting people and saying, you know, this community radio, there's two components. There's the creative, you know, and there's the financial and they are equally important. Um, and that's what we've got to do. But I know quintessentially, you know, community was like fluffy, you know, we're, we're doing it and, oh, we don't need the money. We'll, 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 we'll get round it some, we'll have a fundraiser once a year. Great idea, fundraiser once a year, but you know, that money dissipates within two months and then boom, bang, we're back, back where we are again. Yeah, same everywhere. It seems there's, uh, you know, there's a couple of models in community broadcasting for the, the fundraising. And a lot of it is, as you say, like an annual fundraising campaign uh, where they're, you know, soliciting funds from the general public in that. Um, I've been reading about other models as well, where they're using like a, a heritage foundation, for example, um, where they see it, this is in New Orleans, where they're, you know, they're dedicated to um, documenting and preserving the culture. And so they get sort of a, you know, a more sustainable patron um, in that type of model. That's not, it's something that's not uh, happening from the government. Certainly there are um, arts grants and, uh, and, and other sort of radio grants that are available for community stations, but it is. I, I mean, I fully agree with you. It's the, it's the biggest. The biggest challenge is not uh, making the content. It's it's paying for it. Um, you know, paying for the whole process somehow. You know, I was thinking about, you know, what you know about Canada in particular, and and it struck me it will never happen. But you know, what I would be saying is, you know, what is important to people in Kitchener, uh, and it is what's happening on their doorstep. It's you know the things that really matter to them, and yet down the road in Toronto, there's these big. Um, massive commercial radio stations that serve the whole province, if not half the country now. Um, and they, they sort of like dominate the marketplace. They don't, as far as, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure they don't talk all that much about Kitchener. There's other, there's a hundred of and other places, you know, ar around. And I think that if there was, you know, what government should be doing is saying, well done you, you're making massive money. You're the top commercial radio station in the country. We're fleecing you for all the tax that you make because, you know, so you should, you're a business. But I think that these large media organizations should be legally obliged to take a percentage of what they make. And it only has to be 25%. Come on, you, there's only so much money that you can make. Capitalism has to come to a boundary at somewhere and say that 25%. I don't know what the big, it used to be Chum back in the day. I'm sure there's another radio station now. But, but if it had been back in the day, it's to say to Chum, you have to put 25% of your profits into a responsibly managed fund where the, the community station from Kitchener or the community station in Markham can go and get some financial support. You know, so they, they have a bit of respite from the worry of, of existing to the more important thing of creating content. I don't know whether that will happen. It's most probably David in his pink glasses, but I think that's, that's, that's an idea that could be, I mean, you could fly it, couldn't you? 
I'm wondering, like, you know, when we look to, to the future of, of radio, um, you know, in our respective countries or around the world, how do you how do you see it competing with everything else that is out there now? Um, do you think there's still a home uh, for radio in people's hearts? I think radio has changed uh, and it's constantly evolving. Um, I would like to say that live radio will be with us in 50 years, but uh, I don't think it will be. Um, podcasting at the moment, and, and you know, people will argue with me about this or discuss it heavily with me, but I don't think I'm wrong with saying that you know, while the vlog has dominated social media as an as a, um, information delivery tool, uh, I think podcasting is up there now, almost on a par, and podcasting will uh, take over from vlogs. And I, I consider that podcasting is radio on demand, so that the term radio has not left the, that, that ecosystem. It's still in there. You know, you and I, when we talked on a previous project about podcasting, uh, how powerful it is because, you, you know, it's a it's people can, it's a multi it's a multi um, operational tool. In other words, you want to get a message. You have a niche, or you have a message, or you have a program about a particularly interesting topic. Um, not everybody can give the time in the day to have it when it's being stream streamed by the radio station. So from eleven till midday, whereas on demand, in other words, a podcast. You know, they can listen to it whenever. They can subscribe to it. They can be alerted. Their, their devices these days automatically download the latest episode for them. And that takes a strain off them. Um, and they can listen to it. Um, whether they're, you know, my, my, I still, when I talk to people, say, you know, the great thing about a podcast is uh, if, if you're slicing a carrot at the speed that Gordon Ramsay does um, in the kitchen, and that's the only time that you got almost free. You can't watch a video at the same time, but you can slice your carrot um, while you're listening to a podcast. You can listen to your podcast while you're running in the gym. And, you know, in London at the moment, uh, OK, pre-COVID this is, but that quintessential view of the pinstripe businessman or captain of industry with his bowler hat and his briefcase sitting with that massive edition paper edition of the times where he takes up four people's seating places right now or and it's coming back these guys have got apple earpods or the equivalent and they're listening to the content that they need from that morning's bbc news program and they're getting it in such a wonderful way that yes they're interested in economy they're interested in rugby so they'll get that they won't get the, the, the update about Novak Djokovic in tennis or anything else like that. And I think that's so, so powerful. And, you know, it, yes, it's called podcasting. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term we're going to have to live with because I suppose radio on demand is too difficult. But I think that's where we're going. Um, and one day radio frequencies might be switched off. I hope they're not because I'm so nostalgic about it. But it's, that's not what it's about. It's about the content. It's about audio content. And you know what? It's the theatre of the mind, David. And that is so uh, wonderfully powerful as well. And it's the, the, the threshold for entry is not high. Uh, the skills are simple, in relative speaking. And, and everybody tells stories. <laughs> you can go to any coffee bar in the world, and everybody's being a storyteller there. And it's just telling stories. And I think it's a beautiful platform for doing it. 
this is what I think is is wonderful about uh, community media of all sorts um, is that ability to to tell stories that are relatable to to the audience. And it's just something I wonder with the increase of things like podcasting and, and any of the on demand uh, audio that we we get away from that collective experience. And we still get, you know, you get your content, I get my content and and the two will never meet. And so just, do you have any thoughts on what it means for like the implications for the community as a whole? If you remember back to the, you know, the start of our conversation and talking about the size of the audiences with pirate, uh, pirate radio broadcasting, then what, you know, what kind of collective experience are we left with if everybody's, uh, if everybody's sort of getting their, their own slice, their own, their own content? Yeah, I'm going to sort of like contradict myself now as well. Um, you know, when you get into certain taxis in Banja Luka at the moment, uh, certain drivers are consuming music that is delivered to them by Spotify or other, other streaming providers. I think that the, what community, community radio would be the last traditional radio to leave because it, it has that, that great impact about what is happening on my doorstep and everybody's interested in finding out what is happening on their doorstep, you know, from where the latest clubs are, uh, what the latest uh, chances are for children, um, down to learning skills, uh, right down to when the garbage is not going to be collected today because of the snow and it will be connected to my very, very important information. I think if, if the um, data providers, the internet providers have enough bandwidth, and that they're responsible enough to give us the fastest that we want, then I think that we don't need FM or AM anymore, that we can stream on our, on our phones. But that is not happening all around the world at the moment. Uh, the major players in the FM world are balking at it. Um, there is a shift, I know. But I, I think it's just an educational thing. And, and if, if a, community, a community radio station like yours finds out that people are... Uh, walking around in downtown Kitchener with, with their earbuds in and they're listening to your content, that's a very good sign. And it's just to, to work on it, to chip away at it and to say, this is where you can find us. You know, it's not that much difficult to say 99.9 .9 on your dial or an Englishman in the Balkans.com slash podcast or, or streaming or whatever. It's just a place to go. So I'll contradict myself a bit. I think that, that being online for community radio is the best place to be. If for no other reason, I know, it, I know people want to be on, on AM or FM or whatever, but then the licensing fees and those costs disappear or at least diminish considerably. And that might be a, another way. I like listening to, I like, I listen to all my radio online. And to, to prove a point, I keep in touch with what's happening in London, England by, by listening online. Obviously I can't listen in, other, in any other way. That's that's uh, in inspiring words to come back to. So, you know, we're hearing there's a there's a future uh, for radio, just not over the airwaves. Yeah, I, I just I, you know, you know, years ago, David, we moved from AM to FM. And now I think we're moving from FM to data to data. This, yes. sa sa same story, different platform. Yeah, and that's nice. It is. So, David, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, I want to say thank you very much for chatting with us today and for everything that you've done, of course, in the service of radio throughout the years. Um, no doubt through the training and education, you've uh, inspired many people like myself and others to, to take up this cause around the world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're grateful for it. Um, if listeners would like to find a little bit more uh, about 
you or the work that you're doing, what's the best way to, to read up or to get in touch? Well, okay. I've got my 15 seconds of shameless self-promotion, so I'll go for it. Um, if you Now, I'm going to say this. If you put www, I know a lot of people don't do it anymore, but you have to do it on this occasion, right? www.anenglishmaninthebalkans, that's all one word, anenglishmaninthebalkans.com. You're going to come to a page on, on the internet where it says uh, that I have a blog, uh, and it says you can read it here first or you can subscribe. Right, if you click read it here first, you don't have to subscribe. If you want to subscribe, please just give me your email address. You don't have to pay for anything. It's all free. And it's a weekly update of what's going on in this country. Uh, from my experiences as an immigrant here, uh, with lots of um, uh, video links and audio links, etc., to what is happening into this very misunderstood uh, country in uh, Southeast Europe. And I also have a podcast and you can pick up on a lot of stuff. In fact, I'm hopefully going to include young David uh, over there in over the pond uh, into one of the next um, uh, episodes. But I think you might find it interesting. It is a window somewhere else in the world. And you know what? How many of us can really say we do it, don't we? We stand over the fence and we see what the neighbor's doing and we find it quite fascinating. And that might be for you. That's wonderful. Great way to uh, a great way to end it. Thanks very much, David. All the best, and uh, have a great World Radio Day in 2022. That was my conversation with international radio trainer David Bailey on the occasion of World Radio Day 2022. If you have any questions or would like to listen to this interview again, please visit MidtownRadio.ca or reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at MidtownRadioKW.